This is Arturo Capital's Research Lab, and I am Derek Fiebiger, the Chief Investment Officer of Arturo Capital. At Arturo Capital, we do a lot of research on blockchain projects, and that involves reading literature on these projects. Since we can't always be sitting down to read, we decided to put some literature into an audiobook format so we can research while we do other things like driving or working out. Since these audio files are just sitting around, we also wanted to share them with the public in case someone else might benefit from them as well. Today we are looking at Casper. Casper is Ethereum's primary solution for scaling the Ethereum protocol. Casper is also being implemented in Q4 by Archain Cooperative. Ethereum currently runs on a proof-of-work consensus mechanism. Over the past two years, it has proven itself to run smoothly but it does not offer much in terms of scalability. Its throughput caps out around 7 to 10 transactions per second and also offers a latency and finality performance that would be deemed quite sluggish if implemented by enterprise applications. Casper, put simply, is the proof-of-stake solution that will help address these issues on Ethereum. In this audio paper, we'll inspect what it is how the two types of Casper differ, and do a deeper dive into the Casper Friendly Finality Gadget paper after reading off a, a good summary of the two written five months ago by Amir Rozik on Block Geeks Incorporated. So to start, we'll first hop into Rozik's summary of Casper. What is Ethereum Casper Protocol? A Crash Course by Amir Rozik. If you are interested in Ethereum or cryptocurrency in general, then you must be aware of the terms of proof of stake and Ethereum Casper. There is no running away from these terms, they are everywhere. And now since there is so much data out there, anyone interested in the topic may go through paralysis by analysis. So in this guide we present to you the definitive guide to Casper and how it will change Ethereum forever. What is Ethereum Casper Protocol, a crash course? What is proof of work? Most cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, run on proof of work. Proof of work as a process has the following steps to it. The miners solve cryptographic puzzles to mine a block to add to the blockchain. This process requires an immense amount of energy and computational usage. The puzzles have been designed in a way which makes it hard and taxing on the system. When a miner solves the puzzle, they present their block to the network for the verification. Verifying whether the block belongs to the chain or not is an extremely simple process. That, in essence, is what the proof-of-work system is. Solving the puzzle is difficult, but checking whether the solution is actually correct is not easy. This is the system that Bitcoin and Ethereum, till now, have been using. However, there are some fundamental flaws in the system. The problem with proof of work. As it turns out, there are quite a few problems with proof of work. First and foremost, proof of work is an extremely inefficient process because of the sheer amount of power and energy that it eats up. People and organizations can afford faster and more powerful ASICs and usually have a better chance of producing blocks more so than others. As a result of this, Bitcoin isn't as decentralized as it wants to be. If you check the hash rate distribution graph, you can see 65% of the hash rate is divided among five mining pools alone. Theoretically speaking, these big mining pools can simply team up with each other and launch a 51% attack on the Bitcoin network. So, to solve these problems, Ethereum looked at proof of stake as a solution. What is proof of stake? 
Proof of stake will make the entire mining process virtual and replace miners with validators. This is how the process will work. The validators will have to lock up some of their coins as stake. After that, they will start validating the blocks, meaning when they discover a block which they think can be added to the chain, they will validate it by placing a bet on it. If the block gets appended, then the validators will get a reward proportionate to their bets. The biggest roadblock to proof of stake. Ethereum developers have always planned to eventually move on to proof of stake. That was always their plan. However, before they could do so, they had to address one of the biggest flaws of proof of stake. Consider this scenario for a moment. Suppose we have a situation where there is a main chain and then a second chain which branches out from the main chain. What is there to stop a malicious miner from mining on the second chain and force a hard fork? In a proof-of-work system, the, the risk can be mitigated. Suppose a malicious miner, Alice, wants to mine on the second chain. Even if she decides all of her hash power to it, she won't get any other miner to join her on the new chain. Everyone else will still continue to mine on the blue chain because it is more profitable and risk-free to mine on the longer chain. Now, remember, proof-of-work is extremely expensive resource-wise. It makes no sense for a miner to waste so much resource on a block that will be rejected by the network anyway. Hence, chain splits are avoided in a proof-of-work system because the amount of energy and money that the attacker will have is wasted. However, things look a little different when you bring in proof-of-stake. If you are a validator, then you can simply put your money in both the second chain and the main chain without any fear of repercussion at all. No matter what happens, you will always have no risk of losing, despite how malicious your actions may be. This is called the nothing-at-stake problem, and this is something that Ethereum had to address. They needed a protocol which could implement proof-of-stake and mitigate the nothing-at-stake problem. Enter Ethereum Casper. Casper is the proof-of-stake protocol that Ethereum has chosen to go with. While there has been an entire team busy creating it, Vlad Zamfer is often credited as being the face of Casper. So how is Casper different from other proof-of-stake protocols? Casper has implemented a process by which they can punish all malicious elements. This is how proof-of-stake under Casper would work. The validators stake a portion of their ethers as stake. After that, they will start validating blocks, meaning when they discover a block which they think can be added to the chain, they will validate it by placing a bet on it. If the block gets appended, then the validators will get a reward proportionate to their bets. However, if a validator acts in a malicious manner and tries to do a nothing at stake, they will immediately be reprimanded and all of their stake is going to get slashed. As you can see, Casper is designed to work in a trustless system and be more Byzantine fault tolerant. Anyone who acts in a malicious or Byzantine manner will get immediately punished by having their stake slashed off. This is where it differs from most other proof of stake protocols. Malicious elements have something to lose, so it is possible for there to be nothing at stake. This is not the only place where Casper punishes the validators. As Hudson James and Joris Bontje note in their answers in Stack, Ex Stack Exchange, Casper designs harsher incentives to guarantee 
network security, including punishing miners who go offline, unintentionally or not. This means that validators will have to be careful about their node uptime. Carelessness or laziness will lead to them losing their stake. This property reduces censorship of transactions and overall availability. Along with all that, the slashing property also lends Casper a distinct edge over standard proof-of-work protocols. In a proof-of-work protocol, it doesn't matter whether a miner mined on the main chain or the second chain. Both the honest and the malicious miner would have spent the same amount of resources. In Casper, however, if an honest validator mines on the main chain, then they would get the reward proportional to their bet. However, a malicious miner will get their stake slashed off for betting on the red chain. Casper is not one specific project. It's an amalgamation of two research projects, which is currently being undertaken by the Ethereum developer team. The two projects are Casper the Friendly Finality Gadget and Casper the Friendly Ghost, correct by construction. Casper Friendly Finality Gadget, also known as Casper FFG, aka Vitalik's Casper, is a hybrid proof-of-work, proof-of-stake consensus mechanism. This is the version of Casper that is going to be implemented first. This is pretty much designed to ease the transition into proof-of-stake. The way it is designed is there is proof-of-stake protocol overlaying on top of the normal ETHash proof-of-work protocol. So while blocks are still going to be mined via proof-of-work, every 50th block is going to be a proof-of-stake checkpoint where finality is assessed by a network of validators. So what is finality? Finality in very loose terms means that once a particular operation has been done, it will forever be etched in history and nothing can revert that operation. This is particularly important in fields which deal with finance. Imagine that Alice owns a particular amount of an asset in a company and in the case of a glitch in the company's processes, she shouldn't have to revert ownership of that asset. Some people say that proof of work is the one way that finality can be achieved in the blockchain. However, that is not necessarily true. The truth is far more complex than that. As Vitalik Buterin notes, no system in the world provides 100% finality. It's possible to hack, to hack into a system or physically break into a registry and tamper with numbers to change one's mark sheet. That is a big problem with centralized institutions. However, decentralized systems have faced the same issue as well. In fact, Bitcoin, the poster child of proof-of-work mechanism, has faced finality issues at least three times. On one instance, the chain had to fork because of a bug that existed in one version of the software and didn't in another. This led to a split in the community where one part refused to accept a chain that was accepted by the other half. This split was resolved in six hours. So the question is, how does Casper FFG provide finality? According to Vitalik, Casper is guaranteed to provide stronger finality than proof-of-work because of three reasons. Total economic finality. Two-thirds of validators make maximum odd bets to finalize the blocks. Because of this, there is very little incentive for them to collude and attack the network since they are jeopardizing their own deposits if they do so. Vlad Zamfer put it best when he said, Imagine a version of the proof-of-work where... If you participate in a 51% attack, your mining hardware burns down. 
Imagine that the entire network is made of three people, Alice, Bob, and Charlie. Suppose Alice and Bob are placing their stakes behind one claim, and Bob and Charlie are placing their stakes behind a contradictory claim. No matter what happens, either Alice or Charlie stands to lose a significant amount of money. So, as you can see, the validators have no incentive to collude and act in a malicious manner, because they always stand to lose a lot of money. However, if a double finality does occur, there is a contingency plan for that as well. If a double finality occurs, then users have a choice as to which chain they want to go for. Whatever chain gets the majority vote becomes the dominant chain. So basically, double finality in Casper would end up in a hard fork instead of a reversion. Casper Correct by Construction, also known as Casper CBC, is Vlad's Casper, Vlad Zamfer. He uses the Correct by Construction protocol. So what is the Correct by Construction protocol? This is what a normal protocol design looks like. You formally specify the protocol, you define the properties that the protocol must satisfy, and then you prove that the protocol satisfies the given properties. In a CBC protocol, you formally but partially specify the protocol. You then define properties that the protocol must specify. Then you derive the protocol in a way that satisfies all the properties that it was stated to specify. In layman's terms, you are sort of deriving the protocol dynamically. One of the ways to derive the full protocol is to implement an estimate safety oracle called an ideal adversary, which does one of the following. One, it raises exceptions of a fault of a justified estimate. Two, lists out any f future failures that can happen. So what this ideal advers adversary is going to do is that it is going to constantly fine-tune and perfect the partially built protocol until it is complete. As can be seen, the Ethereum dev team has been hard at work with these two Casper projects. This is obviously not going to be the final version, but whatever it will be, will be heavily influenced by both Vlad's and Vitalik's Caspers. As has been stated, Vitalik's Casper is going to be implemented first to ease the transition from proof-of-stake to proof-of-work. Vlad's Casper, on the other hand, is going to derive a safety proof via the utilization of an ideal adversary. Why do we need Ethereum Casper? There are several advantages of implementing proof-of-stake. They can all be broadly listed down among the following categories. Helps achieve decentralization. It's energy efficient. It's economically secure. It helps address scaling. And it creates the transition to proof-of-stake. Achieving decentralization. As mentioned before, proof-of-work protocols are not really decentralization-friendly anymore. The majority of hash rate is concentrated within some specific pools, and this means that no matter what happens, they will always have a better chance of mining blocks and obtaining rewards more so than anyone else. Because they can obtain more money, they can therefore afford better and faster ASICs. This basically means no matter what happens, big mining pools will always have an edge over individuals and smaller pools. In other words, the rich always get richer. Proof of stake makes this completely irrelevant by making mining completely virtual. However, that's not the only way POS mitigates the effects of centralization. In order to understand that first, we need to know what economies of scale means. When it comes to production, there are two kinds. 
short run production and long run production. In the short run production, the input resources are fixed. Consider a small time pizzeria which only has one oven. It doesn't matter if they have to produce one pizza of 25, there is only one oven that they can use to create those pizzas. In a long run production, all the resources are variable and this is where economies of scale come in. So in a long run production where the quantity of the input resources is variable, what happens if you double the input? There are only three outcomes of this particular scenario. We call this returns to scale. The output more than doubles, meaning there is an increased return to scale. The output doubles, meaning there is a fixed return to scale. The output does not double, meaning there are decreasing returns to scale. So what is exactly going on in this? When the production is increased from quantity 1 to quantity 2, the overall cost of the production goes down from cost 1 to cost 2. This is called economies of scale. After that, it evens out for a bit. This is where you get constant returns to scale. And then when you go beyond that, the cost increases as you get beyond the Q2. What this means is that large corporations can decrease the average cost of their products by increasing the quantity of their outputs till a certain limit. In a sense, more is less. Let's take a real-world example of that. A small-time baker's initial cost will obviously be less than a big baking company's because the company will have to invest in a lot of machinery. However, over the long run, the average cost of every loaf of bread will be much lesser for the company than it is for the baker. Okay, all this is fine, but how does this apply to mining pools? Quite like big corporations, larger mining pools can decrease the cost of their input resources by amortizing a fixed cost over a larger operation and having bargaining power by operating as a larger entity. What this means is a large influential mining pool can dollar for dollar generate more hash rate than other pools even if they spend the same amount of money. The problem is completely mitigated in proof of stake because of one simple reason. In proof of stake, you invest a stake. You can't simply pool together and make your stake more valuable dollar for dollar. At the end of the day, one dollar is one dollar. Economies of scale don't work here. Energy efficiency. The biggest problem of proof of work is the energy wastage. The worst part is that it is energy wastage for the sake of energy wastage. Bitcoin in particular is voracious in its appetite for energy. The annual global mining cost of Bitcoin is $1.4 billion. Bitcoin alone annually consumes 28.48 terawatt hours worth of electricity. The country of Ecuador consumed around 21 terawatts per hour. In fact, let's compare Bitcoin's energy consumption when compared to some countries. Bitcoin consumes more power than Ireland, Bahrain, and the Slovak Republic. Okay, let's even the playing field. What if we compare Bitcoin to other payment systems, say Visa? What does the power consumption of Bitcoin compare to that of Visa? And that is almost 2,000 times more total consumption of energy, which is not good. So it's obvious that Bitcoin needs a lot of power and there's a lot of money spent on the resources. However, what about the external costs? The effect that this amount of power consumption has on the environment must be immense. 
While there's no doubt that Bitcoin and proof of work has made a lot of positive, positive social changes, we should at least see what a large scale proof of stake system can do and whether it works just as well without consuming so much power. Economic security. The biggest advantage that proof of stake and especially Casper has is its economic security. Think about this. Suppose you're a validator and you have your own money stored up as the stake in the network. It's in your own interest to act in the best interest of the network. Why would you act maliciously knowing that there is a huge part of your stake which can be slashed away and taken over if you do? Why would you attack a network and harm the coin's value when you have so much of your currency locked up in it? Also, this slashing effect removes the chance of a spawn camping attack, as Vitalik coins it. A spawn camping attack is when a 51% miner cartel keeps attacking over and over again, rendering the chain useless. Spawn attacks can be prevented in proof of stake by the simple fact that just one attack will lead to the slashing and removal of the invested stake. And if you don't have any stake, Invested, you cannot take part in proof-of-stake validation. Scaling. The most obvious way that proof-of-stake is going to help scalability is by enabling sharding. As Vlad Zamfer says, sharding with proof-of-work is not impossible, but it is hard. What is sharding? Sharding is a term that has been taken from database systems. Let's see what sharding means when you refer to it in respect to a database. Suppose you have a huge bulky database for your website. Having a bulky database not only makes searching for data slower, but it also hinders your scalability. So what do you do in this case? Well, what if you do a horizontal partition of your data and turn them into smaller tables and store them on different database servers, essentially splitting them up? You can either horizontally partition a table of data or you can vertically partition a table of data. When you vertically partition a table of data, they tend to become two completely different tables altogether. However, if you were to partition them horizontally, it's the same table and database, but with lesser data. These smaller databases are known as shards of the larger database. Each shard should be identical with the same table structure. So what will happen if we do implement sharding in a proof-of-work protocol. Sharding will make processing faster by splitting a state into different shards. However, if we are using proof-of-work, the smaller shards will be in danger of being taken over by malicious miners because of its low hash rate. In fact, this is the biggest reason why proof-of-work blockchains can never implement sharding. Any and all small shards can be easily taken over. The risk is completely mitigated in proof-of-stake since it doesn't have the concept of mining. Transition to proof-of-stake. Now this is more of a philosophical discussion. People in general are not that good with change. When they get used to something, it's very difficult for them to get out of that comfort zone. This can be particularly tricky for a currency system whose value is entirely based on its per perceived value by the masses. As of writing, Ethereum is worth $32 billion it will be incredibly irresponsible to drop the proof-of-stake bomb on the people and expect them just to get with the times. This might reduce the public's faith in the system, and the value of Ethereum may drop. Hence, it is much more prudent 
to have a gentle transition from proof of work to proof of stake that the Casper friendly finality gadget is planning to do. So do the rich get richer? One of the most recurring criticisms of the proof of stake protocol is that it is just making the rich people richer. Since in order to even qualify as a validator, you need to lock up a significant portion of your funds as a stake. And even then, you'll get rewards in proportion to the amount of money that you're betting. So if you have more money in the system, you will get more money. However, John Choi in this article refutes this as so. The main takeaway here should be that proof of stake is considerably more egalitarian. For instance, it gives less benefit to having more capital than the incumbent proof-of-work-based algorithm of Bitcoin. The main reason behind this is the economies of scale discussion we have had above. In a proof-of-stake system, a dollar is still a dollar, and big pools can't get away with having more hash rate for the same amount of money invested. The future of Ethereum Casper. Recently, as of writing, Vitalik Buterin said that not only is Casper ready for testing, but it could provide a security boost when testing code across clients. While it doesn't look like it's ready for widespread adoption yet, it looks like the date of the first Casper testnet is coming closer and closer. It's not a question of if proof of stake is going to be implemented or not, it's a question of when. Ethereum Serenity is supposed to be a proof of stakes network. It's not like we have never seen an implementation of proof of stake before. PureCoin implemented it quite successfully. However, we have never seen the adoption of the protocol at this level before. Maybe if Casper is implemented successfully, the other cryptocurrencies may follow suit and make the transition as well. Whatever be the case, Casper brings in a lot of enticing possibilities. And that concludes the article by Amir Rosic explaining in layman's terms what Ethereum Casper protocol is and how it will apply and why it was beneficial. So that, that it feels good to start out with because it gives the, the general overview, whereas the Casper-friendly finality gadget paper does more of a deeper dive um, on the mechanics of it, um, which we'll read right now. Casper, the friendly finality gadget by Vitalik Buterin and Virgil Griffith, the Ethereum Foundation. Abstract. We introduced Casper, a proof-of-stake-based finality system which overlays an existing proof-of-work blockchain. Casper is a partial consensus mechanism combining proof-of-stake algorithm research and Byzantine fault-tolerant consensus theory. We introduce our system, prove some desirable features, and show defenses against long-range revisions and catastrophic crashes. The Casper overlay provides almost any proof-of-work chain with additional protections against block reversions. Part 1. Introduction Over the past few years, there has been considerable research into proof-of-stake-based blockchain consensus algorithms. In a proof-of-stake system, a blockchain appends and agrees on new blocks through a process where anyone who holds coins inside of the system can participate and the influence an agent has is proportional to the number of coins or stake it holds. This is a vastly more efficient alternative to proof-of-work mining and enables blockchains to operate without mining high hardware and electricity costs. There are two major schools of thought in proof-of-stake design. 
The first chain-based proof-of-stake mimics proof-of-work mechanics and features a chain of blocks and simulates mining by pseudo-randomly assigning the right to create new blocks to stakeholders. This includes Peercoin, Blackcoin, and Idobentov's work. The other school, Byzantine Fault Tolerant-based proof-of-stake, is based on a 30-year-old body of research into BFT consensus algorithms, such as PBFT. BFT algorithms typically have proven mathematical properties. For example, one can usually mathematically prove that as long as less than two-thirds of protocol participants are following the protocol honestly, then regardless of network latency, the algorithm cannot finalize conflicting blocks. Repurposing BFT algorithms for proof-of-stake was first introduced by Tendermint and has other modern inspirations. Casper follows this BFT tradition, though with some modifications. 1.1. Our work. Casper the Friendly Finality Gadget is an overlay atop a proposal mechanism, a, me a mechanism which proposes blocks. Casper is responsible for finalizing these blocks, essentially selecting a unique chain which represents the canonical transactions of the ledger. Casper provides safety, but liveness depends on the chosen proposal mechanism. That is, if attackers wholly control the proposal mechanism, Casper protects against finalizing two conflicting checkpoints, but the attacker could prevent Casper from finalizing any future checkpoints. Casper introduces several new features that BFT algorithms do not necessarily support. Accountability. If a validator violates a rule, we can detect the violation and know which validator violated the rule. Accountability allows us to penalize malfeasant validators solving the nothing-at-stake nothing problem that plagues chain-based proof-of-stake. The penalty for violating a rule is a validator's entire deposit. This maximum penalty is the defense against violating the protocol. Because proof-of-stake security is based on the size of the penalty, which can be set to greatly exceed the gains from the mining reward, proof-of-stake provides strictly stronger security incentives, more so than proof-of-work. Dynamic validators. We introduce a safe way for the validators set to change over time. Defenses. We introduce defenses against long-range revision attacks, as well as attacks where more than one-third of validators drop offline at the cost of a very weak trade-off synchronicity assumption. Modular overlay. Casper's design as a overlay makes it easier to implement as an upgrade to an existing proof-of-work chain. We describe Casper in stages, starting with a simple version and then progressively adding validator set changes and finally defenses against attacks. Two, the Casper protocol. Within Ethereum, the proposal mechanism will initially be the existing proof-of-work chain, making the first version of Casper a hybrid proof-of-work proof-of-stake system. In future versions, the proof-of-work proposal mechanism will be replaced with something more efficient. For example, we can imagine converting the block proposal into some kind of proof-of-stake round-robin block signing scheme. In this simple version of Casper, we assume there is a fixed set of validators, and a proposal mechanism, for example, the, proof, the familiar proof-of-work proposal mechanism, which produces child blocks of existing blocks forming an ever-growing ever block tree. From the root of the tree is typically called the genesis block. 
Under normal circumstances, we expect that the proposal mechanism will typically propose blocks one after the other in a linked list. But in the case of network latency or deliberate attacks, the proposal mechanism will inevitably occasionally pr produce multiple children of the same parent. Casper's job is to choose a single child from each parent, thus choosing one canonical chain from the block tree. Rather than deal with the full block tree for efficiency purposes, Casper only considers the subtree of checkpoints from forming the checkpoint tree. The genesis block is a checkpoint and every block whose height in the block tree is an exact multiple of 100 and that's also a checkpoint. The checkpoint height of a block with block height 100 times k is simply k equivalently the height of a checkpoint c is the number of elements in the checkpoint chain stretching from c all the way back to the root along the parent links. Each validator has a deposit when a validator joins, its deposit is the number of deposited coins. After joining, each validator's deposit rises and falls with rewards and penalties. Proof of stake's security derives from the size of the deposits, not the number of validators. So for the rest of this paper, when we say two-thirds of validators, we are referring to the deposit-weighted fraction, that is, a set of validators whose sum deposit size equals two-thirds of the total deposit size of the entire set of validators. Validators can broadcast a vote message containing four pieces of information, two checkpoints, S and T, together with heights H, S, and HT. We require that S be an ancestor of T in the checkpoint tree, otherwise the vote is considered invalid. If the public key of the validator V is not in the validator set, the vote is considered invalid. Together with the signature of the validator, we will write these votes in the form V, S, T, HS, HT. We define the following terms. A supermajority link is an ordered pair of checkpoints such that at least two-thirds of validators by deposit have published votes with source A and target B. Supermajority links can skip checkpoints. Two checkpoints... A and B are called conflicting if and only if they are nodes in distinct branches. For example, neither is an ancestor or descendant of the other. The most notable property of Casper is that it is impossible for two conflicting checkpoints to be finalized without more than one-third of the validators violating one of the two Casper commandment commandments or slashing conditions. If a validator violates either slashing condition the evidence of the violation can be included into the blockchain as a transaction, at which point the validator's entire deposit is taken away with a small finder's fee given to the submitter of the evidence transaction. In current Ethereum, stopping the enforcement of a slashing condition requires a successful 51% attack on Ethereum's proof-of-work block proposal. 2.1. Proving Safety and Plausible Liveness we prove Casper's two fundamental properties, accountable safety and plausible liveness. Accountable safety means that the two conflicting checkpoints cannot both be finalized unless more than one-third of validators violate a slashing condition, meaning at least one-third of the to total deposit is lost. Plausible liveness means that 
regardless of any previous events, for example, slashing events, delayed blocks, censorship attacks, etc. If more than two-thirds of validators follow the protocol, then it's always possible to finalize a checkpoint without any validator violating a slashing condition. 2.2, Casper's fork choice rule. Casper is more complicated than standard proof-of-work designs. As such, the fork choice must be adjusted. Our modified fork choice rule should be followed by all users, validators, and even the underlying block proposal mechanism. If the users, validators, or block proposers instead follow the standard proof-of-work fork choice rule of always build atop the longest chain, there are pathological scenarios where Casper gets stuck and any blocks built atop the longest chain cannot be finalized or even justified without some validators altruistically sacrificing their deposit. To avoid this, we introduce a novel, correct-by-construction fork choice rule. Follow the chain containing the justified checkpoint of the greatest height. This fork choice rule is correct-by-construction because it follows from the plausible liveness proof, which precisely states that it's always possible to finalize a new checkpoint on top of the justified checkpoint with the greatest height. This fork choice rule will be tweaked in sections 3 and 4. 3. Enabling dynamic validator sets. The set of validators needs to be able to change. New validators must be able to join. And existing validators must be able to leave. To accomplish this, we define the dynasty of a block. The dynasty of block B is the number of finalized checkpoints in the chain from root of the parent of block B. When a would-be validator's deposit message is included in a block with dynasty D, then the validator V will join the validator set at first block with dynasty D plus 2. We call D plus 2 this validator's start dynasty. To leave the validator set, a validator must send a withdraw message. If validator V's withdraw message is included in a block with dynasty D, it similarly leaves the validator set at the first block with dynasty D plus 2. We call D plus 2 the validator's end dynasty. If a withdraw message has not yet been included, then the dynasty does not end. Once the validator leaves the validator set, the validator's public key is forever forbidden from rejoining the validator set. This removes the need to handle multiple start end dynasties for a single identifier. As the start of the end dynasty, the validator's deposit is locked for a long period of time called the withdrawal delay. Think four months worth of blocks before the deposit is withdrawn. If during the withdrawal delay, the validator violates any commandment, the deposit is slashed. We define two functions that generate two subsets of validators for any given dynasty, D, the forward validator set, and the rear validator set. This means that the forward validator set of dynasty D is the rear validator set of dynasty D plus one. In order for the chain to be able to know its own current dynasty, we need to restrict our definition of finalization slightly. Before a checkpoint C is called finalized, it is justified, and there is a supermajority link from C to any of its direct children in the checkpoint tree. The forward and rear validator sets will usually greatly overlap, but if the two validator sets substantially differ, this stitching mechanism prevents safety failure in the case when two grandchildren of a finalized checkpoint 
have different dynasties because the evidence was included in one chain but not the other. Stopping attacks. There are two well-known attacks against proof-of-stake systems, long-range revisions and catastrophic crashes. We discuss each in turn. 4.1. Long-range revisions. The withdrawal delay after a validator's end dynasty introduces a synchronicity assumption between validators and clients. Once a coalition of validators has withdrawn their deposits, if that coalition had more than two-thirds of deposits long ago in the past, they can use their historical supermajority to finalize conflicting checkpoints without fear of getting slashed because they have already withdrawn their money. This is called the long-range revision attack. In simple terms, long-range attacks are prevented by a fork choice rule to never revert a finalized block, as well as an expectation that each client will log on and gain a complete up-to-date view of the chain at some regular frequency, for example, once per one to two months. A long-range revision fork that finalizes blocks older than that will simply be ignored because all clients will have already seen a finalized block at that height and will refuse to revert it. We make an informal proof of the mechanism as follows. Suppose that there is a maximum communication delay between two clients, so if one client hears some message at some time, all other clients are guaranteed to have heard it. This means that we can talk about the time window during which a block was received by the network. We assume all clients have local clocks that are perfectly synchronized and blocks are required to have timestamps. And if a validator sees a slashing violation at time T, then the, the, they reject blocks with timestamps greater than T that are part of chains that have not yet included this slashing evidence. Suppose that a large set of slashing violations results in two finalized checkpoints, C1 and C2. If the two time windows do not intersect, then all validators agree at which checkpoint came first, and everyone follows the rule to not revert finalized checkpoints, so then there is no issues. Due to network delays, it's possible that clients will disagree whether a given piece of slashing evidence was submitted into a given chain on time or as having accepted too late. However, this is only a liveness failure and not a safety failure. And this possibility does not weaken our security claims because it's already known that a corrupted proposal mechanism can prevent finality. We can also sidestep the issue of evidence inclusion timeouts by informally arguing that attacks will be short-lived because the validators will perceive a long-running chain without including slashing evidence as an attack and switch to another branch supported by an honest minority of validators that are not part of the attack thus stopping the attack and slashing the attacker. 4.2. Catastrophic crashes. Suppose that more than one-third of validators crash fail at the same time. They are no longer connected to the network due to a network partition, computer failure, or the validators themselves are malicious. Intuitively, from this point on, no supermajority links can be created, and thus no future checkpoints can be finalized. We can recover from this by instituting a inactivity leak, which slowly drains the deposit of any validator that does not vote for checkpoints until eventually its deposit sizes de decrease low enough that the validators who are voting for a supermajority. Simplest formula is something like in every epoch, a validator with deposit size D fails to vote. It loses D times P for P is in between one and zero. 
though to resolve catastrophic crashes more quickly, a formula which increases the leak rate in the event of a long streak of non-finalized blocks may be optimal. This drained ether can be burned or returned to the validator after so many days. Whether leaked assets should be burned or returned as well as the exact formula for the inactivity leak is outside the scope of this paper, as there are questions of economic incentives, not Byzantine fault tolerance. The inactivity leak introduces the possibility of two conflicting checkpoints being finalized without any validator getting slashed. With validators only losing money on only one of the two checkpoints, assume the validators are split into two subsets with subset VA voting on chain A and subset VB voting on chain B. On chain A, VB's deposits will leak and vice versa leading to each subset having a supermajority on its respective chain. Allowing two conflicting checkpoints to be finalized without any validators being explicitly slashed. If this situation happens, then each validator should simply favor whatever finalized checkpoint it saw first. The exact algorithm for recovering from these various attacks remains an open problem. For now, we assume validators can detect obviously malfeasant behavior, for example, not including evidence, and manually create a minority soft fork. The minority fork can be viewed as a blockchain in its own right that competes with the majority chain in the market. And if the majority chain truly is operated by colluding malicious attackers, then we can assume that the market will favor the minority fork. Conclusions We presented Casper, a novel proof-of-stake system derived from the Byzantine fault-tolerance literature. Casper includes two slashing conditions, a correct by construction fork choice, rule, and dynamic validator sets. Finally, we introduced extensions to Casper, not reverting finalized checkpoints and the inactivity leak, to defend against two common attacks. Casper remains imperfect. For example, a wholly compromised block proposal mechanism will prevent Casper from finalizing new blocks. Casper is a proof-of-stake-based strict security improvement to almost any proof-of-work chain. The problems that Casper does not wholly solve, particularly related to 51% attacks, can still be corrected using user-activated soft forks. Future developments will undoubtedly improve Casper's security and reduce the need for user-activated soft forks. Future work. The current Casper system builds upon proof-of-work block proposal mechanisms. We wish to convert the block proposal mechanism to proof-of-stake. We wish to prove accountable safety and plausible liveness even when the weights of the validator set change with rewards and penalties. Another problem for future work is a formal specification of a fork choice rule taking into account the common attacks on proof of stake. Future work papers will explain and analyze the financial incentives within Casper and their consequences. A particular economic problem related to such Automated strategies to block attackers is proving upper bounds on the ratio between the degree of disagreement between different clients and the cost incurred by the attacker. And that concludes the Casper summary and the Casper friendly finality gadget white paper. Casper is probably one of the most anticipated protocol upgrades in the history of blockchain. And it also appears to be releasing very soon. Vitalik made a comment that amidst the, the Bitmain Ethereum ASIC debate, 
that they will not hesitate to release Casper in the event that there is some sort of malicious attack by these ASIC miners. So this indicates that they are working on problems within Casper, but the Casper-friendly finality gadget is could, could theoretically be implemented if absolutely necessary. Also, Vlad Zamfer's Correct by Construction version of Casper is coming soon. Sharding for Ethereum is a little bit further away, but our chain also has some inherent sharding within their Rolang virtual machine. And Vlad Zamfer is on the board of our chain, along with Greg Meredith, who are both working on the Correct by Construction version of Casper. So it's an entirely possible that we'll be able to see Vlad Zamfer's version of Casper implemented on our chain, which is scheduled for mainnet launch in Q4 of this year. Very exciting stuff. I want to thank you for listening to the audio papers. This is Arturo Capital's Research Lab, and I'm Derek Fiebiger, the Chief Investment Officer of Arturo Capital. If you have any audio papers you'd like to hear, feel free to reach out and recommend them to me, and I'll give them a look. Take care.